Weirdo bookworms unite. We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Some readers out there may look down on you for your love of horror, sci-fi, and fantasy, but not us. So stop by as we discuss what we've been reading. Welcome to Genre Junkies. I'm Sandra. And I'm Scott. And here we are, another episode, a fantasy book. Yes, it is. Uh, So here we are. We're recording in our new studio setup. Uh, We've just moved houses, and it's insane. And we're still living out of boxes because, you know, we're busy. And we, um, yeah, haven't unpacked everything yet. A little stressful. What can I say? Yeah, and our studio's not 100% set up yet, but it's a lot better than it was the last time we recorded. Uh, it, it, we're, we're almost there. It's also a lot cooler in here today, so my face isn't melting off quite as fast as last time. We'll, we'll see how long I last. It helped that I ran the window air conditioner for, you know, a good hour before we started. Yes. So um, since we've been moving and doing all this fun, great stuff, um, we haven't really had any time to absorb any new genre material, unfortunately. I actually, I have been absorbing genre material. Thank you very much. (laughs) Oh, oh, I'm sorry. What have you been absorbing? So I've actually started watching The Orville, which is a science fiction television series by Seth MacFarlane, which I was very skeptical of. Seth MacFarlane and I have a little bit of a, a, a complicated relationship. I do find Family Guy to be quite funny, but he can be a little cloying at times. The Orville is really good. Is it's it, like, it's is like it funny? It, it, is, it is funny, but it's not really a comedy so much as it's Star Trek if it was you know, like regular real people. It's it's like Star Trek, but in a work environment. And it, it it has those serious stories like Star Trek does as well, and meaningful moments and interesting characters. It's actually really, really good. Huh. Well, that's cool. I mean, I, I don't even remember if I talked about it on the show, but in the midst of all the craziness, I was able to watch the most recent season of Slasher. Did I talk about that? You didn't. No, I was like, I can't remember. Um, So Slasher is a Canadian Netflix original series. Um, um, and it is anthology. This is the third season, so all the seasons are different storylines, but there's always somebody, um, a person, non-supernatural, uh, killing people, and there's always a bit of a mystery to uncover with it. And this uh, season was called Solstice, and it was absolutely brilliant. I love it so much. I God, I adore this series, and I don't know why everybody is not talking about it and watching it constantly. It's genius. It's definitely for horror fans. It's pretty gory. It's pretty explicit with, like, bad words and adult situations and, yeah, a lot of weird, interesting ways people get killed. I think it's interesting with Slasher because it's it's along the same lines as Black Mirror and what's that other horror show with the teeth monster? Channel Zero. Channel Zero zero that i've heard a lot about in in other venues you're the only one i've ever heard talk about slasher and, and i watched a bit of was it solstice that i watched you watched a, you saw a little bit of it. It, it it's really good it's brilliant there's usually uh, a type of social commentary to it as well there's like some contemporary issues that are covered uh which is really cool diverse cast of characters and whatnot yeah it's it's brilliant it's great horror content so what are you all doing go watch it but um 
Tonight, we're going to talk about a fantasy book. Before I f- get into that, speaking of fantasy books, because we have another fantasy book coming up really soon, uh, we will post very, uh, very soonly, very quickly. <laughs> the next, very, very shortly. Very, very shortly. We will, we'll post very shortly our upcoming TBR of our next three books on social media, so you can read along with us. We're getting back into the swing of things. Yes, and I, well, I did post the last three. Well, yes, you did, yeah. but, you know, we've had a few delays, and we had a little bit of, uh, uh, trouble actually coming coming together, you and I, with our next three books. Yeah. So tonight we're going to talk about a really, really fun brand new fantasy book called Gods of Jade and Shadow by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. Let me tell you a bit about it. The Mayan god of death sends a young woman on a harrowing, life-changing journey in this dark, one-of-a-kind fairy tale inspired by Mexican folklore. The Jazz Age is in full swing, but Cassiopeia Tun is too busy cleaning the floors of her wealthy grandfather's house to listen to any fast tunes. Nevertheless, she dreams of a life far from her dusty small town in southern Mexico, a life she can call her own. Yet this new life seems as distant as the stars, until the day she finds a curious wooden box in her grandfather's room. She opens it and accidentally frees the spirit of the Mayan god of death, who requests her help in recovering his throne from his treacherous brother. Failure will mean Cassiopeia's demise, but success could mean her dreams come true. Um, There's more to the description, but I'm going to leave it at that. So that's kind of what you need to know. This is uh, based on Mexican folklore, uh, Mayan, uh, the Popol Vuh. You read it? I've read it. I Did you ever read it? No, you've read it? Popol Vuh, yes. I read it in um, a religion class that I took. Oh. Yeah. And I have to say, this was a much more enjoyable way to ingest it. So would you call this a retelling since you've actually read it? Well, it's more like, you know how we have so many reimaginings these days of fairy tales and Mm -hmm. like Norse mythologies and Celtic mythologies and stuff. This is um, finally getting to have a point of view that is not so western mm-hmm. because it's about you know mexican people's journey and i i have to say okay i'm a little overwhelmed i don't even know where to begin with this book well the reason why i asked is because to me not knowing that story it it read like one of the best fantasy retellings uh I actually thought of Sea Witch when I was reading this. It it has that same kind of, oh, this is a really fun way to retell a story, except Mm. I don't know the original story. Well, and you know, that's a fair point because like I've read a lot of retellings um, just because that's the type of fantasy books I've been into and have been kind of published and geared towards a lot of fantasy readers for a long time. Uh, So I'm kind of like pretty well immersed in the culture of retellings. So um, yeah, it's kind of a fresh perspective for you then oh yeah and i I liked that and i I, that's why i was asking because i wasn't sure if this was like a a future telling of existing uh mythological beings or if Mm -hmm. it was a retelling of an existing story uh either way I thought it was great, and yeah. and you know how much I love retellings. So yeah, you should read more of them. Well, I I've been sleeping I've on the re- <laughs> you've been sleeping on the retellings while the rest of us have been going through it. 
Uh, it also reminded me a lot, this book of Neil Gaiman's American Gods, mm-hmm. which is kind of like taking the gods of old and putting them into a modern contemporary era, in this case, the Jazz Age, the 1920s, and kind of seeing how they fit in or don't fit into this world and what it means to be kind of a god of old in a changing earth. Um, I didn't have the same type of humor as Gaiman or anything. And I mean, it's like, it's quite different than American Gods, but it's very reminiscent of it for me, which I love, love that book. So that's totally a compliment. Um, I guess, should we say our, our scores, our experience scores? Yeah. Um, I, I guess I'll go first. Why not? Uh, so for me, this was a good read. I really enjoyed it. And, and I, and I want to clarify, this is one of my favorite books of the year so far. I've said Ooh. that a few times this year already. Yeah. But I really, really loved this book. I didn't find it to be a page turner. I wasn't mm-hmm. just like I had to read the next page every single time to see what was happening. I just yeah. really enjoyed it. I just kind of went with the flow of it. I really enjoyed the characters and the direction that it took. It was just kind of a, a nice, easy read that really had a had a had a large effect on me anyway. I really love that you felt that way. Um, I totally agree. This was a solid, solid good read. I don't think it's written or designed to be a page turner exactly mm. because it kind of unfolds like you're reading a mythology book a little bit. Yeah, and I mean that yeah. like yeah, I mean that in the best way possible. So I like I said, I'm I'm into retellings. I love myth. I love fairy tales. I love different myths from all around the world and reading about the pantheons of gods and goddesses. Totally my thing. And ever since I was a little kid I've been that way. And my first real obsession and probably the one that I'm the most knowledgeable about is Greek mythology. My sister and I both grew up with like dual Aries uh, book of Greek myths as like our little like pseudo Bible. It, it's an absolutely amazing tome, and it's considered to be one of the best um, works on Greek mythology. Even though it's like written for kids, and there's a lot of pictures and stuff, but it doesn't dumb down any of the stories. Though it does kind of make them more PG, to be fair. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love reading about, you know, any sort of myth and folklore thing. And, um, like I said, I was familiar with the Popol Vuh, but it was, you know, it's a little bit of a harder one to get into because it's not as romantic. When you read it on pages, it's a lot of sacrifice and pain inflicted and inflicting pain on oneself and sacrifices, like I said, animals and people. Um, and it's quite violent. It's quite violent. And there's nothing wrong with that. But when I was used to much more romantic kind of flowy mythologies, it and I did not connect, though I found it really interesting. And I feel like with this book, um, she really, really brought this world and the characters to life and made it so much more just enjoyable and consumable and really, really gorgeous, gorgeous prose. Um I actually painted my nails jade green (laughs) in honor of this episode. Jade is mentioned a lot throughout the book because it's a huge important part of the myth and the culture of these uh, the people and the gods. I mean, really, there's a lot of stuff I like. There's blood, there's jaguars, there's bats, there's snakes. Oh, the snakes. (laughs) There's um, gemstones. Like, there's ghosts. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that uh, checks 
checks boxes for me. So yeah, for me, a good read. I want to talk a little bit about the prose and the writing style because you had mentioned it there. And 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 you're right. It does read more mythological. And it's because the author uses this interesting uh, technique. It's very storyteller. Well, yeah. And there's really two different voices. There's really two Mm. different um, narrators. Yeah. Or narration styles, anyway. There is the narrative style when... Cassiopeia is the main character when she is doing things, which is more of a traditional uh, novel style. Yeah. And then there is uh, the 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 way that it's told whenever it's dealing with gods or the spirit world or even things that are happening right now. It's told from an even more um, omnipresent state. Yes. And I- it just a state statements of fact. Very like once upon a time in this village, like type of voice, very storyteller, very uh, fairy tale, oral tradition written into, you know, um, a book type of thing. Yeah, no, it's a really cool voice. And it blends very well with Cassiopeia's um, interpretation of events as well. Something else that I really admired about this book is the fact that it takes place in Mexico and during the Jazz Age, 1920s, which I'm a big fan of that era. But But you don't see a lot of books, I mean, really at all written in Mexico. And sometimes when you do see Mexico depicted in pop culture, it's dirty, it's dusty, it sucks, nobody wants to be there. And like, it's like, come on now, that's not true. This is a beautiful, vibrant country with a really cool history. And Cassiopeia travels around Mexico, and we get to see what you know, different states were doing at that time and how some of them were like really, really leaning hard into the Americanized stuff and the fast cars and the Bakelite and (laughs) Art Deco. And some of them were, you know, uh, struggling more with, you know, or had more Spanish or French reflections. It's so cool. And it's just something that's really lacking in especially books to have a story set in Mexico. Yeah. And I don't want to say that I learned anything from this book, but I definitely feel like I am a little bit closer to the culture after this book. And I think that was like a goal of hers was to show you like, hey, like every place in Mexico was not what old movies want you to like think it is. There was a lot going on in Mexico. There's even a setting that happens in the book that is uh that is more touristy and Americanized at that point. And 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 she talks about how they how these places that are there are projecting this false sense of what Mexico Mexico is and was and this these like like fake histories for yeah. the American tourists. And it's just really interesting to hear, you know, that that perspective on what sometimes we think of what all of Mexico was like then and it wasn't at all. Right. So let's talk a little bit about the characters. Um Cassiopeia, which is such a great name. And I don't know if I'm really saying it right. You know, it's like a Greek name, but I, I don't that, know. That's how I have always pronounced the, the constellation. Yeah. So that's what I had in my head. She's kind of a Cinderella, you know, a, a version of a Cinderella. And she, you know, she's like from this area... 
which has really oppressed her. And it's oppressed her in her own household because she's basically a servant for her grandfather. Her mom was kind of the black sheep. And now they're back working in grandfather's house, you know, and, and like, so she's oppressed there. She has no real rights or possessions. She has very little to call her own. She doesn't even have a mirror because their area is also like really dominated by this kind of, I don't know, kind of creepy Catholic church vibe where everything is a sin and everything is evil and, you know, vanity and greed and lust and all of this stuff. But her father was like this learned man and a poet. I mean, he named her Cassiopeia, you know, like for a reason. And she's kind of struck, stuck between these um, two worlds, but she, she wants adventure in the great wide somewhere. She wants freedom. And, and I really like how self-aware the author is because when, when you're first introduced to Cassiopeia and she's talking about her life, uh-huh. the first thing that came into my head is like, oh, it's it's like a Cinderella thing. And then yeah. Cassiopeia even says, uh, you know, you know, I could always dream of being like a Cinderella type, but <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. So this exists in yeah. this world. Yes. This isn't this isn't a retelling of Cinderella, even though it kind of starts that way. And I appreciated yeah. that that introduction. Well, it's a familiar fairy tale setting that I think a lot of us can get behind. And I love a Cinderella type of character and story, you know, someone that works really hard, but has dreams, but is, you know, forced to kind of keep those things secret. Um, I don't know. It's a trope I find really endearing, uh, as I found Cassiopeia very endearing as well. I thought she was funny, uh, smart. She was headstrong, but not like foolishly so, where she's just always making the wrong, stupid choices, you know, just so that she can do what she wants to do. You know, it's like, no, she's smart and she's a realist and she's thrust into (laughs) a completely insane situation. But she's not unlike a Bilbo Baggins where it's like, but I'm going on an adventure. That's a really good good comparison you're yes. you're right except Bill Baggins was a little bit happier <laughs> in his life <laughs> well he also didn't have as much at stake Andy God's bone shard in her hand that was kind of necrosis going yeah. on yeah so you know but but you're right she has a rebellious nature but she is you said it perfectly a realist where she understands this is this is her lot in life this isn't something that's necessarily going to change she can you know dream and wish all she wants but she can she at at the at the beginning of this book is is resigned to her current life right but still keeps strength of character and strength of self at and, the same time and some hope yeah she has her little little tin with like a few treasures in it mm-hmm. uh, and that represents her hope for sure so we meet a lot of characters from mythology in this story so most importantly, some words and some names you should be familiarized with. Shibalba, which is the underworld, which is where the gods of death uh, play, <laughs> for lack of a better term, and where souls go when they, like, die. So the god that she kind of rescues and is then kind of um, tied to tethered to for this story is um Hunkame. And that is about as good as I can hope to pronounce that. I could not find a pronunciation on some of these things. Uh Shibalba, I remembered from my class that I took. <laughs> but Hunkame, so he's our handsome, really intimidating death god who uh has to work with Cassiopeia and try to defeat his brother, the much more sinister 
Vukukame. Vukukame, is that how you said it? Yeah, that's how I, that's, so that is how I said that in my head. Yeah. Um, uh, Hunkame is not how I said it in my head, but when you say it, that is probably more correct than what was in mine. Yeah. So he's kind of our villain. Um, he hates his brother. They've been, you know, grappling since <laughs> the beginning of time, quite literally. And he had to serve his brother. And he has a lot more, you know, kind of dark, more sinister, more gruesome intentions for how he'd like things to be. Even though Chibalba is like a dark place by nature, um, he's he's a little more cruel, this brother. Then there is Martine, who is her cousin. Um, who is a jerk. He is a jerk. What a great foil for Cassiopeia in this story. So he's kind of recruited by uh, Vukukame to like be his like proxy, I guess. champion, if you will. And they're going to pit the cousins kind of against each other. And Martin is like, he's selfish. He's arrogant. He was like the grandfather's only like grandson, spoiled, absolutely horrible to Cassiopeia her whole life. Just has it out for her. Yeah. And and he's stupid. He's just really ignorant <laughs> and awful. <laughs> but um really, really good character. Like I said, a great foil. I we meet all char- sorts of other gods and demons and ghosts and cool things. Uh my favorite character was Lorai, the demon. I knew it would be. Probably like mine trick- too. He's like a t- trickster type of archetype. Very, very funny. Anything you want to say on any of those characters? I don't have anything about any of the specific characters. I just I, I was just thinking about how hard it is to write a god <laughs> particularly yes. one who is just just aloof so aloof and just not really um mindful of what's happening with the humans in this yeah. case the middle world and it's just I, I i am the best i am the greatest i am a god and it's very difficult to write a character like that yeah keep that that sense of greatness but also make them a real character and make them multi-dimensional and she does a really good job of it with with both uh hunkame and uh unvakukame does a great job with those characters making them multi-dimensional while while still making them so alien and, and aloof and and she takes that same skill to all of the characters in the book I, I loved all of them even characters that don't really have much more than a couple of pages have an interesting unique perspective mm-hmm. that i really appreciated in this they have a whole flavor to them they They have colors, they have items, animals, stones, architecture, design that is associated with them and very representative. And it's so cool. Like, and she did such a great job of putting them in a quote unquote contemporary context as well. And this book has a lot of description when it comes to clothing, items, locations. Yes. And as we've said many times before, I sometimes struggle with that. In this book, I I drink it up. Right. I just I sucked it up like a sponge because everything was so new to me. Mm-hmm. This was this was all stuff that I I don't have as much experience reading about. That I was just really interested to hear about all of these descriptions that she had in store for me about what they were wearing, about what they were eating, about yes, drinking. Uh, exactly. It was so great in this book and it's done so well that that's what i mean was like i don't know if there's anything that i i come out of this and and i would say oh well i learned this today but i feel like i have 
a better frame to learn, a, a better connection to to their culture, to that culture, mm-hmm. to that history, uh, for me to, to frame more knowledge that I can learn in the future. I'm interested in learning more now. Yeah, I, I loved it. Every time we were going to go to a new place, or it's like, we've got to go see this such and such character. I was so excited because I knew it was going to be so totally different and such a cool, um, immersive beautifully prosed experience for me as a reader. Um, I guess I will say, before we give our appeal scores, uh, a little bit of critique that I have. Now, again, obviously, I think I've made it pretty clear I really enjoyed this book and I really enjoy her writing. Um, However, I will say about Sylvia's writing and a little bit of a critique is that sometimes, and I can't believe I'm saying this, she gets a little long-winded and... I, okay, don't look at me oh, like no, that. Just, it, the sound you're hearing on my microphone is my jaw dropping to the floor. Okay. Yes. No, it's, no. I mean, here's the thing. I love all that stuff and I love her writing and I thought it was fantastic and I enjoyed it. But there was some times that I was like, I think we could pare this down a little. I think we could shave off a little bit of this exposition. And I mean, like, that is just me. That's my opinion. And it didn't make me not enjoy the book um, any more or less. But it was like, okay, like, I feel like it's dragging a little bit. And I was... um I was seeking a little bit of a faster pace. I do think that the book is fairly long and could be written in a style that's a lot shorter. Right. Uh, usually the tables are turned on here. Yes. And obviously it's a very valid uh, observation and criticism. I just find it so odd that it didn't bother me at all. I loved it. I felt like there was so much information and context that was given to me, the reader, mm-hmm. that I, I, I wanted to absorb all of that. I wanted to be introduced to this history, to this setting, because it's it was so new to me mm. that I, I feel like Sylvia probably had that intention, and it definitely worked for me. I, I just, I find it interesting that it didn't work for you. Yeah, it just, uh, a little bit, sometimes the pace was slow. Mm-hmm. And it, again, it didn't make me, like, unhappy with her as an author or as the book, but I felt that I could have benefited from a quicker pace. As far as our appeals go, uh, I'm going to give this pretty broad appeal. It's bordering on mass, but I'm going to stick with broad because I do think you should be something of a fantasy fan to enjoy this, either a fantasy fan or a mythology fan, uh, because I, I t- heavy on those two things. Yes. And I don't think people who are more just into like contemporary or hard science fiction um, or horror, you know, and, you know, like with very little room for fantasy in there would enjoy this. I agree with you. I at first was really thinking mass, but uh, as as the book progressed, I really did fall back a little bit into broad. I think that there are some some challenging themes and some some challenging writing styles for people who are not you know used to fantasy at least a little bit uh which could which which keeps it from the mass category for me i'd like to go into more details on that in the spoiler section i think it's great i think that anyone who has any any like base at all has has enjoyed a fantasy book in the past will like it Mm-hmm. It's not quite mess. Well, there you have it, everybody. We're going to go into a little more depth in the spoiler section. So we'll see you in a few. Enjoying the show? 
please like and subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Genre Junkies. And don't forget to visit the website, genrejunkies.com. Welcome back to the spoiler section. Hey, without further ado, Scott, why don't you finish your thought? Okay, so my decision as far as what the appeal score would be was really going to be on, okay, what is the progression of the romance between the two characters and what is the ultimate end of that romance? Mm-hmm. The romance doesn't follow a typical third act, if you will. They don't really even get together, and then they don't end up together. Right. It's, it's and it's hard. very slow burn too. It is, and I thought that that their relationship was very natural, and it felt really nice to me oh, the yeah. way that it was written. Uh, but I knew that if this didn't have a a standard fantasy ending, you know, where the beast turns back into the prince. And he gives up everything and yeah. I knew or vice versa, she yeah. becomes somehow a goddess of the underworld and, and and you know rules the bulba with him. I I knew if it didn't have some sort of ending like that, it would not quite make mass. Yeah. I loved the way that it ended. I was hoping for it to end in a way like yeah. it did, but I knew that I I knew that I wouldn't be able to give it mass if it didn't go a traditional romance. Uh, uh, path. Yeah, I I think I agree with you. I like the slow burn aspect of this. I like the romance. Um, I like that it wasn't instant and that it took time. I liked that it was the mortal side of him that was falling in love with her. I like that he was willing to like do it to be like, hey, I'll just be with you and be immortal. Yeah, he was down. He was like, all right, I fine. Mean, so the god side of him was dead. So this was all the mortal side of it talking. Um, I, I like that she was the one that was like, oh my gosh, I love this idea, but this isn't right. And I have to do what's right. And your brother is just going to bring unnecessarily cruel and torment. And, you know, I can't, I can't just stand idly by and let that happen. And I think that's even the point when he when he acknowledges that that's that's the point when she really becomes the hero. She cements her decision to not just be a player in the story mm-hmm. and not be the Cinderella of the story, but be the hero of the story. To right. be the hero in the tales who marches into hell and comes back. Yeah, and of course, um, I don't really want to say it was my favorite part when she does get to Shibalba, because I, I really liked the whole book, and I liked all the little adventures and side adventures they went on. But of course, that's, you know, the big, you know, thing we're all waiting for, and it's leading up to, is she has to go to this really scary underworld and navigate it with, like, no help. Uh, from, you know, her god companion. I found it interesting how quickly that part of the book went. It's not It's not very long. No, it's not. For so much that's like leading up to it, it doesn't take very long. Which I found to be an interesting choice. I, I don't know if I wanted more. I feel like I maybe wanted more, but I also feel like the book ended at a good point. It yeah. is a long book. And yeah. You don't need to drag it out just because it's the like climax. It's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was a part that I highlighted that I really liked where it talks about how Shibalbans have no love of iron. And that's like really cool because it's like a mortal thing. And that's something you see with Fae and a lot of other like stories as well that mythical creatures don't really like it or they're like allergic to it or it's straight up 
kills them because it's like a man-made thing. Uh, I thought that was cool. I was like, look, cultures all over the world kind of had that, you know, same reaction. Well, yeah, if there's one thing that humans can really uh, can really call their own on this planet, it is iron and steel. Yeah. Oh, remember when I was talking about all the animals and all the creatures and like stuff that I love? Caimans, too, which are like crocodiles. Yes. Love them as well. Hey. They're, they're actually in there quite a bit. They sure and are. They're the a big part of The first time they came up, I was and like, And monkeys. Oh. And monkeys. A little bit. There's a little bit of monkeys. There's two distinct parts with monkeys. There's, of course, the monkeys and Shibalba, who um, <laughs> have no love for Martine. And then there's also uh, this one part where he tells, where um, uh, Hunkame tells Cassiopeia very near the beginning of the relationship, like, you're funny. It's like having a playful monkey. And I, I thought that was so hilarious. The entire part at the end with the snakes oh, the was snakes. great. They're sisters, sister snakes. Well, and, and the way they... T- and so that is a point of the book where, you know, I, I talked earlier about the way that she writes the scenes with particularly in Zabulba in this kind of being told from hundreds of years in the future, mm-hmm. sort of sort of omnipresent historical telling. And then her story up until that point is told in, in a more traditional novelization. Once she gets to Zabulba, and especially when it comes to the snakes, it really starts to uh evolve into that mythological storytelling style yeah and 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 it finally completes itself when it gets to the snakes and just starts saying these just almost like it is known statements about the snakes yes and i highlighted that entire thing me too i i loved that so much obviously um we read this on uh our kindles why we keep saying highlighted but um there's a part where it says and i love snakes if you know me no i love snakes and it says snakes after all have a great sense of decorum and order (laughs) and i was like yes yes they do don't they I liked that she kind of got the god brothers, especially Hunkame, to turn over a new leaf, but not entirely change who they are and what they do. They're still gods. They're still aloof. They still have... Well, they're still the god... Well, especially uh, Hunkame, the lord of death. Yes. In Shibalba. Yeah. There is no real humanity in them, but they have a new dynamic. They end this ridiculous ridiculous struggle and squabble of hatred and power because she pointed out to Hunkame, you know, I'm sure you were a jerk. And I'm sure, I mean, he spent, you know, (laughs) millennia being mean to his brother and oppressing him and keeping him under his foot. And she sure knows what that feels like. So it was like, okay, okay, maybe we should just find something else to do instead of, you know, constantly trying to kill each other. Of course, I loved his love letter to her, which is that there's finally flowers in Shibalba, the yeah. red flowers everywhere. Ugh, because he does love her. He does. And it's like so sweet because it's like an angsty romance and it feels very magical and very um at home in a fantasy story. And it's not sad. I mean, it is sad, but it's not like devastating yeah. because like we said, they would have to be so completely not who they are to be together. And it would ruin it and it would be weird. And it helps that their relationship is is painted in a way as he becomes younger and younger and younger, you know, their their love for each other grows and to, to the point where it's painted almost like a, a first love puppy love sort of affection. Right, because this was his first time loving a mortal and like knowing like a true sort of love, I think. And uh 
than experiencing love as mortals would. And then this is her first romance because this is like her first adventure away from home. And it's like they'll clearly miss each other very much. Maybe he won't really miss her because he will forget. He will forget. I mean, he'll remember her in the red flowers. Yes. But he he's not going to remember her how we mortals remember somebody we loved. But it's not written in a way where like, you know, the 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 cliche the one true love. Yeah. And they've lost each other forever. It's they loved each other. They loved each other very much, but they they'll both move on. Yeah. Uh, and of course, I love the true ending, if you will, where he gives her the gifts of, you know, being able to talk to ghosts, travel the roads and to have any language, which is such a cool power that I never thought of having. Love that power. Oh, you haven't? No, I love that. Yeah, have, you ever, have you ever played knows, the game? Because death knows no language. Yes. Do you, have you ever played the game where you say, well, if you could only have one superpower, what would it no. be? You've never played that game? Okay. Well, I mean, yes, but I think you mean something different. Well, that's usually my answer. Oh, really? Is I wish I could read and speak any language. That would be so awesome. I would love it. Uh, but anyway, so she has these gifts, and then um, Lore comes and picks her up, and his raven's there, and he's dropping his little zingers and being so funny. And he's like, I miss French. I miss speaking and hearing French. Should we go to Quebec, or should we go to Louisiana? <laughs> and like, she's just down. She's down for the adventure. And he's like, hey, like, what are you doing? You don't have anything going on. I'm a really nice demon, actually. Like, you know. it's cool. I, I'm, I promise I'm not going to take your soul. I swear. Unless it's for sale. Unless you want to sell it to me, in yeah. which case, yeah, absolutely. I'll buy it. But no, I won't take <laughs> it. I won't steal your soul. It's cool. We'll be friends. Like like yeah. buddies. I, I love that. that. Yeah. I would I would read a whole other book about their adventures. About their adventures. I agree. Oh, another part of the book that really stood out as a favor to me is the part with the hungry ghosts. Oh, that was scary. It was very that scary. That was legitimately frightening. Yeah, it that was, was super scary. The the way their eyes and their tongues are described and just how <gasps> they how when they summon no, them. Though just, I did kind of picture them like venom. Oh. A little bit. I guess. But yeah. like more um emaciated. See, the 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 funny image that I got in my head outside of the actual terrifying image was more like like booze from Super Mario World with the tongues. I love it. Yeah, that that was kind of the, the the funny image I got in my head. But just the way just they just they're just black and they black out everything around you and you're just in the dark. That was frightening. Yeah, it sucks. They are not awesome people to be around. I also love um how the roads talk in Shibalba. I mean, everything's trying to distract you and get you lost in this world is kind of the point. And um that was really, I don't know, really cool, creepy, magical aspect. I got such labyrinth vibes. Yes, Turn of course. Going back. Yes. You're going the wrong way. And the hands and yeah, the <laughs> helping hands. Oh, please. It's been such a long time. <laughs> well, I guess we should kind of wrap this up because it's really hot. Yep. And I'm dying. I got to I got to end this. I'm going to go ahead and start us off with my execution score. Uh I really loved this book and I loved what it did as far as my interest and connection with that culture and history. Mm -hmm. I keep saying that, but that really meant something to me. Yes. And even I mean if I took that out, if I took the the unique setting out, I still think it's a very good story. I still think the characters are incredibly fascinating and I'd be very happy with it. But you put that in and it just creates an even richer, more robust, 
robust world. Uh, I think that she had to have had the intention to to try to really make it real for people who have never been introduced to that that world for. Mm-hmm. And for that, I think she succeeded. So how many bone shards out of five would you give that? I'm going to give it four and a half bone shards out of five. I do think that it was longer than many people would be happy with. Mm-hmm. I could see myself in a different mindset in a different month of the year. I might have felt I might have felt more concerned about the length of it. It worked for me right now. That's the only reason why I ding it a little bit, but I really did love it. Uh, I'm so glad you loved it. Um, you liked it more than I thought you would. I thought you would really like it, but I thought you would have some problems with the flowery language <laughs> and the length of the thing. So um, I'm actually going to give it three and a half bone shards out of five. Certainly above average. Um, a beautiful love letter to... Mexico to the history of Mexico and its people and its gods and its super, super amazing pantheon folklore. It's just absolutely beautiful and a wonderful, wonderful heroine. And um, I do think it could have been pared down a little bit, rambled, dragged a little bit for me sometimes, but I'm still super happy I read it and I wouldn't let that deter anybody else from reading it. There you have it, guys. Thank you so much for joining us for this beautiful, magical episode where we happily read and enjoyed Gods of Jade and Shadow by Sylvia Moreno-Garcia. Appreciate you being here, Scott. And I'm so glad that your your heart and your mind was opened even more towards this culture and story. Well, uh, thank you for having me on our <laughs> show. You're welcome. <laughs> All right, everybody, watch out for jaguars, check under your bed for some hungry ghosts, and please keep reading past your bedtime. 